Welcome to the Clueless at the Work podcast, where we talk through a framework for being successful in your job. My name is Anthony Garone, and I'll be hosting this show with some friends who are experts in helping people grow. The content is based on my book, Clueless at the Work, Advice from a Corporate Tyrant, which is published by Stairway Press. You can find out more at cluelessatthework.com. All right, today we have in the studio a special guest named Kara Hughes. Good morning. Kara, thank you for joining us. Um, So you are someone I've known for a few years. I got to know you as a recruiter uh, in my last job, I believe, less Mm -hmm. than than seven years ago. I think we've known each other five or six years. Yeah. And uh, you've got a lot of stuff going on. You are one of the most heroic (laughs) and brave and uh, effortful people that I know. Just someone who's so, so motivated to uh, live and thrive and, uh, and do the most with your life. So I'm excited to have you here. Uh, for the listeners, Kara is a recruiter, uh, and that's how we met. We, as, she's a technology recruiter, at least at the time. And she's recently started a nonprofit. So, uh, Kara, why don't you tell us about your work? Hi, Anthony. And hi, everyone, for listening. Thanks for checking in. Um, So I uh, am a recruiter. I always have been. I think it's born into my blood. I'm just naturally really great at bringing people together and creating Mm. harmony. And so from there, uh, while I was working as a tech recruiter, I was diagnosed with brain cancer. And it was... um, pretty invasive. It was uh, about seven inches by six inches by two inches deep, non-resectable. So what that means is that they opened my head to take a peek, gave me a sunroof, but then left the sunroof open and couldn't take any of the big bad uh, cancer that had grown in there. Mm. And so I continued to recruit through it. And, um, and I really saw that as a chance to, um, conquer. I conquer everything that I step out and try to do. Um, How you measure that I've now learned. I guess when I was younger, I didn't know how to measure successes. And now successes have so many different meanings. So as I was being an excellent recruiter and getting kudos at work, I was fighting for my life and for my daughter to have a mom. And so... um, the journey went from there, and um, I started a nonprofit uh, called Relentless Love Cancer Foundation, and then we have a couple projects that spring from that Relentless Life Project. So the first pro- the first one is a five hundred one c three where um, I do advocacy and hand holding education uh, for people who are diagnosed or health care providers or people that are care providers because so much we don't see that part of the the piece we see the the, the fighter the struggler but the people that are holding the glue together you know so mm-hmm. we focus on that and we provide services therein to provide if you need food or small appliances clothing Um, If you need to be adopted for Christmas, um, if you need someone to go to your doctor's appointments with you, if, you know, when you get diagnosed with cancer, the doctor says, so you have cancer Mm. and this is where it's at. And now you have to go here or here. And these are your choices. Um, We take it a step further. We educate you on 
everything that cancer is, what you can expect from it, how to talk to your family about it, um, ideas and and proven uh, tricks of homeopathy to help you at home to keep yourself safe and also very, very healthy. I mean, there's just so much that goes into it. And so I started this nonprofit to um, be an outreach and really show my daughter that even through our struggles, we can always rise above, we can always be in servitude. And so that's how that started. And it became it started out as a project. And now it's a 501c3. And um, I'm still struggling uh, to not struggling. I, I don't like that word. People mm. say struggling with your health. Um, I don't struggle with my health. I command my health mm. and, and, and I don't let it rule me. So um, every day, is a new doctor's appointment, and every day is a new opportunity to see uh, where I can take it. You are, um, well, when I first met you, you were, I believe, in the earlier stages of all of this. And I believe you had just had your skull surgery, brain surgery, uh, before, just before you and I had met. <laughs> and that's one thing that stood up, uh, stood out to me that I thought, how is this person like out of the hospital? How is this person <laughs> out of her house? How is she functioning in a, in a real difficult job, you know, meeting tons of people? I mean, what you do requires so much energy and so much motivation and a real hustle attitude. Yeah, so um, can you talk a little bit about how you have, uh, I, don't, I don't even know, managed battling cancer while also working and not letting the the illness overcome you. Certainly. Well, I always have seen my body as a body and there's things that can be added or taken away. And so I guess maybe first realizing that we are not, the only thing we can control is our body. Mm -hmm. And even then it still does what it wants, but I can control the idea to move my right arm and I will move my right arm. So if there's something in my body that I want to change, weak muscle, um, heart conditions, anything, then I work on all parts of that to keep myself whole. So mm -hmm. while I was working, I just... I had my, my, first of all, I, my daughter's my attitude of gratitude and I have pictures on my desk that say that. And, um, I really fight for her, uh, for myself. You have to fight for yourself first, mm -hmm. obviously, but yeah, recruiting is, um, people wouldn't think it's very, uh, energy exerting, but it is because you have to remember so much. And when you're going through chemo, you have what's called brain fog or chemo mm -hmm. fog. And then I had, um, radiation, high, high, high doses of radiation, um, to my brain. Actually, I think, right. We, you, you and I were pretty well acquainted by then when I was, um, having the radiation to my brain. And, um, then when they went in and put the mesh in that was another operation to cover my head um so now I have then I went back in and we had um a, a skull put in <laughs> um and then I've gone through three shunts because I acquired hydrocephalus from it um 
and I mean, it goes on from there, but really how I combine health and, and work is it's kind of a measurable thing, both things, correct? Like you look at your work and you write down your goals and where you want to see yourself in five, six months, five, six years. I did the same thing with my health. I said, well, I'm not going anywhere because I refuse to leave this planet. Mm -hmm. So what do I need to do to get there? And what, what are my micro goals and my macro goals? And my daughter was part of my team, but not part of the take care of mommy team, but the rah-rah cheerleader. Um, At that time, the company I was working for um, was very supportive of me, but I also was supportive of them. Um, If if I felt good, I would go to work. Mm. Um, And I didn't let myself sit in it. Um, But And I went and I gave them 100% every time. And they saw that, which was beautiful. Um, But there did come a time where I had to resign um, because of the shunting and other things with my health. So um, that's what made me turn my direction towards starting my nonprofit. Because uh, even though I might be laid up a lot of the time, um, there's so many things that you can do from your bed or your chair um, to organize and help bring the community together to help other people. Mm-hmm. You are just unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my th- that's why I named my my nonprofits uh, Relentless Love and Relentless Life because I'm relentless in everything I do. And relentless is usually seen as a, a poor word, you know, like a bad word, um, but it's not. It just means that you are unstoppable and mm-hmm. you won't, you won't, you will take nothing for a no and you'll take everything for a yes and you'll just continue to plummet ahead full speed. How do you, how do you handle the difficulties of the brain fog and those kinds of things in your, in your work and still like find success? Because part of what I mentioned in the book is you will have catastrophe. Mm -hmm. You will have illness in your family. It might be you in this case it is. Um, and you're, you have to, you're raising your daughter. You are supporting your daughter. You have to make enough money to do those things. And, um, so how do you manage, like, do, do the people that you work with have any idea that you're going through this? Like, or are you just, how, how, what's your system for making sure that you know everything you need to know when you're going to talk to somebody as a recruiter, you know, because there's a lot, like you said, there's a lot you have to remember about the job, what the company wants, what the person's able to do, what their work history is, you know, those kinds of things. So, so I'm a, I'm a very big um, note taker. I'm a very big um, communicator. I'm, that's my specialty is I communicate um, in and out. Also body language. Um, I went to school for uh, behavioral health and I learned how to read um, body language and, and worked with um, adults and children for a long time mm-hmm. that were disabled, whether they be mentally uh, disabled or uh, um the, physically the, yeah born yeah. that way sorry developmentally disabled a big thing with all of the um beautiful health uh things that i've had to traverse um we lose our words a lot so mm-hmm. thank you and mm-hmm. excuse me if i do um so from there i learned to really document really well uh being a behaviorist um you know soap notes it's medical field and so from there i took on my recruiting in the same role and i had my templates that i had made for you know 
dot netters, um, BAs, you know, whatever position I was looking for. Um, and I had what's important to you. What's, what's going to change your mind on the drop of a dime if that's a difference in that position. So I, I made a lot of forms early on, really early on. Um, probably in my early twenties that I've kept with me and, um, you know, update them as, as I need to go. So even though recruiting just comes off the hip, because when you start to, you know, speak to a software developer, you know what they do, but there again, you lose your word tracks or you lose your, um, your thought process. So I just had all these templates and I've had them forever and I, I use them. So going into my healthcare, I did the same thing. And I have a lot of doctors. I have like, I don't know, 32 doctors, mm -hmm. specialists that mm -hmm. I see. And so I just, everything I do, I use my technology, every piece of technology I can to to offload things off my brain to keep my stress low, as everyone should be doing. I think a lot of people think they need to keep everything in their head. And then they, and then they end up getting stressed out and job burnout and life burnout. And then we get sick. Right. So... Ironically, I made all of these great forms to reduce stress. Um, so maybe I could just be stress-free while battling everything I was battling and continuing to um, fund and finance my daughter and my life uh, while going to doctor's appointments mm -hmm. every single day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's what's stunning to me, and I guess you, you are hugely inspiring to me, uh, is that nothing gets you down. And when I'm, when I feel down in the dumps about something, I'm just like, you know what? Kara's out there doing this. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's had all these surgeries, you know, all these pro procedures. She sees 32 doctors, you know, she's at the doctor almost every single day. And I'm complaining about X. And it just seems, it helps me get perspective on my life just knowing that you are out there battling um so whether you are you and i are directly interacting or not you are inspiring to me um for those reasons just if i know if you can do it then i should be able to do it like you are battling cancer how many hours a week are you down in a bed or at a doctor's office you we talk about there's 24 hours a day and eight sleep what are you doing with the rest of the 16 well you've got you know four or five hours less than most people and one doctor's appointment could take six hours because doctors are so stacked back and um you asked a question earlier that i wanted to answer on that your systems my systems yeah it was around my systems yeah um, we can go back to that. But yeah, um, I appreciate that people do hear of me or know me and become inspired because there's nothing we can't traverse. I mean, who's the person that's always there when you're winning? Mm -hmm. And who's the person that's always there when you're losing? Right. Yeah. yeah. And who's your team? Who's that person, that, those people that are going to push you uphill when you're running that 5K? Mm -hmm. I can't run a 5K, but... My life is a 5K and, mm -hmm. you know, so I have very few tight knit people in my life that know what I 
traverse. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that I come into contact with, with my nonprofit, I do share with them that I'm a survivor and I, and we, you know, then we get to know each other personally, mm-hmm. which is really big. Communication and relationships are huge, 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 huge. And they're authentic. And I think some people are too surface anymore in the world. So that is when I do bring out, you know, the full guns and let people know, and I'll let you know. So that way the people listening kind of know what I do deal with. I, I started off, um, before the brain cancer was found, I was having thyroid problems. So I basically looked like I was having a heart attack. I was, my heart was out of control. So this was for a couple of years before the brain cancers. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I was having clarity issues. Um, not so much clarity like at work or anything, but just all of a sudden I'd say, you know, what, what was I just doing? Big headaches. Um, and then finally they, they went in and they couldn't see the, the mass and so they had to open my head and they just kept cutting and cutting and cutting and they found out it was a blood tumor. So it's, I have a, a good, and a, but a bad cancer. It's non-Hodgkin follicular non-Hodgkin's lymphoma of the brain, which does reoccur. So I don't keep that in my head mm-hmm. literally or figuratively. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there I ended up having to have my you know skull replaced. And then I've had three shunts. One is malfunctioned. Um, I've had um, 20 four surgeries and um now i have a pacemaker mm-hmm. that's really cool mm-hmm. at 42 um i've had ports i've had um i think i i'm, I'm getting called the bionic woman now instead of wonder woman because <laughs> yeah. i i want to you know instead of be a clone i want to be a drone so yeah that's you know there's there's a long story there and right. every single time i get diagnosed like three weeks ago my doctor came out and said on tuesday he said you have many, many multiple fatal flaws with your heart right now. Mm. But the one I can help with is getting you a pacemaker that will help one of the problems. Mm. And he said, and we're doing it on Thursday. So, Mm. you know, we just go with, we roll with it. Right. You just roll with it. And, um, the people that I work with that have cancer, um, they also are going through the same struggles. So if I say, Hey, I I can't have a conversation today. Um, they totally understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I don't, um, you did say, you know, how do people know what you go through? No, I don't share my, I share my story of, of triumph and, um, climbing to the top, uh, of every single, uh, mountain. But, um, sometimes I don't share mm-hmm. how we get there. Yeah. Do you ever want to just smack someone in the head and be like, your problems are nothing. Do you know what I deal no. with? <laughs> Since day one. And, um, my boss at PDS where mm-hmm. I worked, um, Brian, he was awesome. He would say he, I actually had to help him learn a little bit about, um, I guess, how I handled it because the team would come in and say, Oh, I have a headache. I want to go home. And he would say, close the door. Uh, there's a woman right outside this door that's going through chemo and radiation and raising a daughter and she's here kicking tush. Right. So go home if you like, but remember it's for a headache Mm -hmm. and she's here. And so after I heard that that was happening, I went in and I said, I don't ever, um, you know, if you come home and you say, I must, I must tell you about my day. It was so formidable. I say, let's hear it because Mm -hmm. I never say that anyone's struggle is greater than the other person because it's only what we're dealing with at that time. Right. And you can't know pain you haven't experienced. It's just what you, what you're going through is just so extremely beyond, you know, what, 
90. But I don't know what it feels to. like to lose a limb. Right. So, you know, what would that be like, you right. know? So I just look up and mm-hmm. um, I tell everyone, just keep looking up. I'm also a big nerd. I love astrophysics. So <laughs> there's that. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, I'm just kind of overwhelmed, you know, hearing hearing about this. What do you... Um, what, one thing that I've been reading about lately is the idea that the I, I can't do something well unless I see the world only through this lens and I will not allow the world to exist without it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. for you, it's I am not going to let this bring me down. I'm sure you have other sort of axioms or lenses like that. Uh, can you share some of those? What are the things that you refuse to allow happen in your life or be a, become a reality in the world? I refuse to have the people that are in my close circle suffer silently. And that's huge because that creates drama in your field and then in your friend's field and mm-hmm. in your family's field and no one wants to feel alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a huge one. And the part of the reason why I've done everything that I have done with my outreach is because this struggle has been majoritively on my own. Um, I don't have family support here. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I only, like I said, allow a couple of people in. Mm-hmm. So, um, about what, what do you refuse to allow into the world? I refuse to allow trauma or excess hate so i'm a big activist for civil rights and uh, and for and for people's rights to make their own choices mm-hmm. and for um everyone just to really see okay so when i was little i had a pair of sunglasses and they were very see-through and they were they were rose colored mm-hmm. and at the bottom they were clear and i would only look through the top <laughs> and on along along my journey, I've done journaling. I have a YouTube channel. I have a lot of things, and some of the the totems or the words that I wrote was, "I only watch the world through rose colored lenses because that's how my brain sees things." Mm. Is where's the positive in this? I never go into a project and say, "Where's the negative?" Or you know, "How are we going to fix these problems?" Mm-hmm. No, it's how are we going to capitalize on what's right and fix the things that we haven't. Um, so making sure that people, um, also put on my rose colored sunglasses, which I have. Mm. Um, and it just makes the world a much more beautiful place. Um, I don't believe in, I believe in sitting still long enough to allow your spirit to ruminate, to get your mind to understand where your body's about to go. And then we get up and we go. Do you ever find yourself overthinking i mean my my guess is you are just constantly gut instincts go 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 i work a lot on gut but what i do do is uh, i do a lot of meditation Mm -hmm. and when i meditate i ask for clarity on how to integrate with other people that maybe are a little more closed-minded because they've been in so much pain all their life like Mm -hmm. maybe they came from abusive lives or were never heard or validated and so i i always that's the first thing as i always remember always remember that this person has a story and they're coming at me from a container and i'm out here in the world with no walls right and i bet you encounter this multiple times a day as a recruiter 
as a recruiter, as a doc, as going to, as a patient, yeah. um, as meeting other patients, mm-hmm. as, as meeting people that need help, mm-hmm. um, may, meeting people at street corners yeah. and seeing, why are you so angry today? Right. You right. know, like, tell me about it. Just tell me about it. Just tell me about it. It's really just talking to people, just like recruiting. Where, what do you want to do with your life? Mm-hmm. Where do you want to spend eight to you know, 10 hours a day, you know, who are these people you want to work with? Um, why do you want that company? Uh, what does that company bring to you? What does it call to you? Because we shouldn't just be doing something because it's, uh, what we're supposed to do. You know, we're told we grow up and we get a job and we support the family and, but there are so many other ways to live your life and you're one of them. You do so much. You I do, do a few things. Just a couple, <laughs> just a couple. And it's, it's beautiful to see and engage with other people that are also yeah. understanding how to juggle and right. you have to always just juggle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How do you handle At least in my mind, I look at the technology industry and I think there are a lot of good people, but I think there's a lot of greed and there's a lot of like unnecessary stuff happening, you know, like does this product really need to exist? This thing only exists because there's an investor or this person, like they're completely just motivated by, they know there's money in the market and that's really all they care about. Like, how do you handle those situations? You are such a sort an altruistic, pure person, and the tech industry is it's so many things, you know. <laughs> there's pockets of 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 your spirit in the tech industry, but yeah. there's also a lot that's not. So how do you sort of live through that and and deal with the the difficult candidates, the companies that are kind of wasting people's time or expecting too much or burning people out? Like how do you as a recruiter get through that every day? So one of the questions that I, that I would ask is what environment do you want to work in? And so not, I'm not only a lot of recruiters will take the, take a resume, talk to the person for a second on the phone, which you've had this happen to you a hundred million times. Mm-hmm. And then they slam you into a company with, you know, submit you without asking if, if it's even okay with you to submit your private information. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not my ethic. My mm-hmm. ethic is to go in, get to know you as a human. Mm-hmm. Like, who are you? What makes you tick? What's going to make you drive? Because that's when you're going to be best at that company. And if that company doesn't value mission, vision that yours are, if you guys aren't jiving, I'm not even going to bring that company to your door, mm-hmm. but also I'm going to question, am I going to work with that company? Because I'm mm-hmm. going to go into that company. I'm going to interview not only the hiring managers who are going to, they're used to talking to recruiters every day. They just say, okay, what do you need? Give me the job description. I'll find you people. Mm-hmm. But what I do is I say, no, 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 I got to come over. I got to meet you. I've got to meet your people. I've got to ask them questions, my private questions that I keep to myself mm-hmm. until you get to meet me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get to, I really know that company and that team and that pod. Like I see people as whales and they're pods and they choose to swim together mm. or we can all choose to fail together, right? Because mm-hmm. you're saying, are we going into a company that's a good one? So 
twofold. That's how I recruit, but I also do my uh, education with my daughter Mm -hmm. before we purchase anything. Mm -hmm. And we say, where is this coming from? What's it being made for? Is there a better product out there? Is this where we should be spending our money? Mm -hmm. Can we be helping a smaller company? Mm -hmm. Or do we want to go ahead and use like Apple? Um, I used I use them now. Um, it took me a long time to buy into it, but once I bought, when I once I started learning and teaching my daughter about the technology, that's when I decided to make a purchase. Mm-hmm. So you know, you do have large corporations that do great things. You have to see, you know, and this is big for when I'm recruiting, especially, and also when I'm choosing my companies. Um, what does that company do to give back? Do we have days that that are required that every employee goes and does? Um, community service or is it just an open door policy where you expect that your teams are going to get together and go and help Um, do you have a a scholarship fund are you what are you doing with your money you know um, are you are you supporting political parties that maybe people don't agree with Mm -hmm. or uh, advancing um, things in the pharmaceuticals that maybe you don't agree with. Really mm-hmm. know where your money is going. Mm-hmm. And also when you're making money, where it's coming from, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's huge. And I'll have those conversations if they're appropriate, if that person is that deep. But mm-hmm. if not, I'm having my best interest of watching out for them. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I had an ethical choice about a job several years ago. It's a credit card company. I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about. Uh, I'm sure. Here in Phoenix, but they do credit card processing, but they're also like the number one pornography subscription credit card bill processor, you know? And uh, on the one hand, it was like, well, they're just, they're a credit card processor. Sure, most of their business comes from pornography, but like they're just processing credit cards they do plenty of other businesses too but then when the hiring manager said how do you feel about your 75 to 80 percent of your paycheck coming from money that's um from pornography subscriptions that's when i was like okay yeah i can't i can't do this you know yeah it doesn't fall in line with your core values right but i just i'd never really encountered that before and I was in my 20s, you know, earlier in my career. But it was on the one hand, like the money was good. And I was like, they're just a credit card pro- company. You know, every credit card company is going to have illicit you know, right. transactions and that kind of thing. But it's on a, the other yeah, hand, a like service provider, right. That's but it. Amex, you know, Amex wouldn't be interviewing saying, how do you feel about, you know, 30% of your <laughs> revenue coming from pornography and 20% from this and that. It was yeah. like such an overwhelming amount that it had to be linked in some way, you know? But um, I think about that, because that was the first time I really encountered the ethical choice. I, I had one as well. I, I had a client that was mine for the taking. Um, they wanted to work with me. And I, I, I sat down and did my pros and cons. My daughter does pros and cons, I mm. love it. She's 10 and she does pros and cons. Mm-hmm. And I did pros and cons on that company and, um, it was all that industry. It, it was a company for that industry. Mm. Now I have no problem with that for other people, but then I start to dig into, does it further 
um, sex trafficking? Mm -hmm. Does it further this? Right. You know, so that's where I have to say those are things that I don't agree with. Just Mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, when people are trying to say, oh, but Kara's had cancer, but I just broke my knee. Right. You know, Um, I have to say, are they supporting a larger, you know, industry that I can't? Mm. Or, or, or something that's going, you know, on the black market that I don't right. want out there because, right. you know, we have families and, and, and we have morals yeah. So, yeah. and choices. And that company will find, they'll find their, they'll their find person. the people. Mm-hmm. It, they are out there. Yeah. They have their own pod of whales, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's okay. There's so many more people out there that walk and talk that business that want to be in that business and, mm. and we don't. So that's okay. So I think you will be the uh, 12th episode of this podcast and three of you are the third recruiter that I've had on the podcast um, because I develop relationships with recruiters being a hiring manager, but also I just find their networks are huge and they're really interesting people a lot of the times. If they're good at their craft. Exactly. Yeah. So what do you see happening as a recruiter in this industry, like what, what's been on your mind as a tech recruiter, uh, you know, going into 2020, what are you seeing this year? So I am seeing a new trend in call center recruiting and it's not for call center staff. It's recruiters are becoming call center people Oh, and they are offshoring it, nearshoring it and onshoring it. And it came from the tech industry mm-hmm. Offshoring, nearshoring, and onshoring all of our people. Yeah, yeah. all of our development. And so people are, and and this is going to start happening a lot. We're going to start having um, farms, um, employee farms, because when the computer takes over, they need people to take over what the computer used to do. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to be having call centers of recruiters that are, you know, not as in depth, not as, um, savvy and don't have the skill set, Um, and, and, and that's going to be an interesting acceptance and growth. Um, well, yeah. And they're probably not going to be driven by the same compensation. They'll probably be mostly salary, maybe some compensation for their placements. Whereas a lot of recruiters are mostly compens or, uh, mostly, uh, what was the word? <laughs> um, bonus for, or yeah, yeah, like they're compensated through placements, right? Yes. Commission, commission. commissions and bonuses. Yes. yes. And then, um, you know, what's the chance that that person's going to have gotten out to see the actual people sitting in the desk? Right. Right. Um, I I can recruit nationally. I can recruit internationally, but that in, ensures that I have to do Skype meetings with my people, and I I want to really know the environment, the culture, mm-hmm. because I'm the person that's making that match for you. Right. You know, um, I when I first started recruiting, my first job actually as a as a true recruiter, um, we had to do a lot of um, convincing the family because it was a construction industry, and so most of the most of our uh, demographic were males Mm -hmm. that were married with children. Mm -hmm. Um, and there were a lot of females that were also married. So I had to do it in reverse. But what I said was, let's get together on a, um, I went to the chamber of commerce. I went all around town and I found all the pluses to bring people to an undesirable town. It was Las Vegas. Mm. Yeah. And so, um, not only did I have to find the right 
project manager for the position, but I had, if they had a family, I had to talk to, I chose to talk to the family to encourage them to move to a town that I actually knew the schools, their softball teams, how their little leagues were everything. And, um, you know, these are the things that we're going to be losing in the long run. And you're going to lose that. As you said, you, you grow good relationships with the recruiters that have vast networks and, and think outside of the box, most likely. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just, um, it's going to be an interesting move when they, it's already happening. Well, it has to, there's, there, there's more jobs than people. Yes. Right now it's a candidate market and not a, um, not a employer market. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, everyone, including recruiters are hot. Mm -hmm. And so they have to move fast. The first is first person to slap that name on someone's desk. They own that person Mm -hmm. from any other recruitment team. It's crazy. Yeah. So if you have, if you have a thousand people taking minimum wage jobs, doing call recruiting, um, we have to ask ourselves, are we still giving the quality to the candidate end of the company? Are we doing them a disservice or a service? Right. Yeah. I, Every time on LinkedIn when I post that I've got I'm going to be hiring, I'll get ten connections that day on LinkedIn from all over the world. Like there are people just scouring LinkedIn, searching for posts that say developer, remote, whatever it is, and I have to put in the post, you know, please no recruiters, no offshore dev, you know, no offshore whatever. But they still reach out because they don't read the post. You know, so they just scour the, for those posts. How those companies work, and there are many companies like this, right? LinkedIn is one, and mm. then we have multiple others, multiple others that you can pay to have someone recruit for you. And oh, they yeah. do have recruiters that come in, sit in an office, and right. it's another farm, and they send emails to the person. Like if you had your software, um, excuse me all of your experience, your mm-hmm. plethora of experience, if you had your resume out there, it auto generates or, uh, or an actual human will send that person an email and say, you need to apply for this job. Mm-hmm. It makes their, the person, the co- company's numbers obviously look great out the door. Oh, I'm getting so many submittals, right. but the reason why you're getting the submittals is because they just shoved that job out. And it's just, you, you know, you, oh, yeah. it's just a network Absolutely. of computers moving in and out, in and out. Right. So is it really a person that read anything? Sure. No, they, just said hey here's a new job i'm applying for it first because if i get there first i might have a chance at it yeah it's i just can't believe it you know like i'll post i'm hiring a developer and then like three people from ukraine two from poland you know <laughs> three from the czech republic you know like, people I'm sorry, from india I can't I, h1b today but. R- right and um the jobs are it it's just amazing. These are like senior level jobs, but it doesn't even matter. They're just, there are so many people. It's clear there's so much demand for placing people. Yeah. And I get, just as a hiring manager, I, I don't even, people aren't even reaching out to recruit me for other positions. It's just that I am a hiring manager. I get so many connections, so many emails. So it's really hard. And we have an exclusivity contract right now with a recruiter. So I'm like, sorry, I've got an exclusivity deal. And they're like, uh, well, can I just please give you these <laughs> couple of names, you know, just in case? Like, no, no, you can't. But yeah. I always say I'm happy to meet you over coffee. Yeah. And that's where you have to challenge someone's ethics. Right. Because um, 
I'm extremely ethical. If you say that you're exclusive, um, that you have a retained firm, then I thank you so much, but I would like to connect with you because you're an awesome person and we can continue a business relationship, but I'm not going to push any further. It's funny. There's a guy at PDS who just reached out and I really appreciated what he wrote. He was like, uh, hello, Anthony, um, slash make weird music guy slash corporate tyrant, you know, exactly. <laughs> like he read my profile. He actually said, um, things that were meaningful to and me he came through as a human, right? He came through as a human and he said, uh, I know you're not hiring, uh, or you're not doing recruiters and I know it's exclusive and all that stuff, but, um, you know, I'd, I'd like at least a shot at this. And I said, well, you know, it's exclusive, so I can't do anything, but I'm happy to meet with you. And every response had humor and human personality in it. And I was like, I need to meet this person because I am more interested in meeting humans in this industry than just people who are looking to make money off of me. Yeah. My tenure at PDS was my favorite tenure of any of my careers Mm -hmm. because um, I had the ability, they allowed me the flexibility to be myself Mm -hmm. which um is i love life and i love people and i love to know your little nuances of you know what your favorite things are that you collect in your office like i'm looking at a statue of bach right now (laughs) you know i love to know those little things that's very important to me it tells me who you are as a human and and how you're going to fit into my team absolutely yeah i love it i love it i love it i Mm. call myself the marriage maker and if i (laughs) interview they always say why a marriage maker and i said because you're married to that chair right you're married Mm. to those people like you better like them absolutely before you sign that 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 letter you know but that's that's life yeah it is it is yeah it's amazing all right we should wrap up uh i know i could talk to you all day but we're almost uh 50 minutes in i think Um, oh my goodness yeah so please plug your nonprofit. tell people how they can uh find you and you know donate money their time whatever it is. Definitely. We take, we take donations of, um, clothing, blankets, food. We take donations of, um, you know, f- uh, f- money, mm-hmm. whatever, however mm-hmm. it comes. Um, there's tell so me, many ways. Tell us who we is. So the name of my organization is relentless love cancer foundation. You can find me at relentless love cancer foundation.org. And I, uh, we, I'm a team of one um, until it is large enough that I can get additional cancer survivors to join the conversation piece with me. Um, So we do uh, do fundraisers and you'll find links on our page. And um, we love volunteers that want to come out and help. We um, we make food for people that are down with chemo. We go out and help clean houses. Um, But the biggest piece is the advocacy and the um, teaching the way of the healthcare industry and how they can best suit themselves to keep themselves as healthy as they can so that they can make it to the other side. And for listeners who are not in the Phoenix, Arizona area, just go to the website and uh, donate. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, RelentlessLoveCancerFoundation.org. That's right. That's a short domain. I know. I made it the longest one possible because if you were really wanting to come see us, then you had to commit to typing it out. Yeah. Excellent. Kara, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. I really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me. It was great. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Clueless at the Work podcast. You can pick up a copy of the book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and at cluelessatthework.com, where you'll also find book excerpts, podcast transcriptions, and more related content. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and check out our previous episodes as we walk through the book content together.